Well, I am glad that you guys are here. This morning, we're going to take our next step in this series, What is the Gospel? But I felt like I needed to uh, launch in this morning by recapping on why we're doing this series to begin with, okay? What is the purpose or what is the reason for this series? What, uh, what is the gospel? Um, all of us believe that the scripture is inspired. We believe that scripture is, the, the actual text says that it's God-breathed. We believe that it's uh, sufficient for our life and useful to our life, amen? We believe that, right? We also know that the gospel says that, or that the scripture says that the gospel, Romans 1.16, says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? In case you didn't know that, you can look it up and find that out. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, with that in our minds, it seems quite important that we understand the gospel and that we know how to communicate it, amen? Right? If the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and that is the very message that we are called to go into all the world and proclaim, it's probably important that we understand it and we know how to communicate it. Now, we did a survey with our students, and we found that although many of our students, the far majority of our students, profess belief in Jesus and the gospel, uh, articulating it and understanding it is a different story. That becomes challenging. But what my suspicion is, is that it goes far beyond just teenagers. <laughs> uh, can I get an amen? Or, or all amens, right? right? Sometimes we look at the gospel, sometimes we're overwhelmed by the messages that we hear, and we go, I, I actually don't know how to do this. I don't know how to share uh, the gospel truth with anybody. Uh, many of us think that the gospel is some sort of like phrase, some sort of uh, series of propositional truths and we go and we and we try to memorize things like this and we declare it and then and then the sad truth is that we don't have the results we want uh, in other words we say things like Christ was uh, crucified according to the scriptures. Christ was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. This is found in Corinthians. And we go, what say you? And people look at you and go, I say you're crazy. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know why this is important, and I don't know why you led off the conversation with that kind of stuff, right? We think that the gospel declaration is some sort of Bible verse that we're going to read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then our neighbor looks at us and goes, looks like you went to VBS when you were a kid. That was awesome for you, right? But they don't, they don't move by it. And then there's another problem that happens, and, and that is that we have to justify the lack of action or the lack of response that happens in our lives. We go and we share some sort of uh, truth from the Bible. It's true. It's great. It's wonderful. We share it. No response happens, and we come up with all kinds of theories on why nothing happens. For example, we say, oh, they're just hard-hearted. They're just closed off to the gospel. If they would have been softened in their heart, they would have responded to the gospel. This is the kind of nonsense we come up with. Are some people hardened to the truth of God's word? Yeah, of course. Better question. Are we as Christians hardened to some of God's truths? Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. There's things that the preachers told you a thousand times and you're still like, I'm not sure I agree with that quite yet. You know what I'm saying? 
because we struggle with these things. But we tell the gospel or we give a series of propositional truths and we struggle because people don't respond to the gospel. So we say that they're hard-hearted. We say that they're closed-minded. We say that they don't like Christians, whatever. That's exactly who you're supposed to be talking to, okay? The truth is we're missing the point. We're not actually delivering the, the fullness of the gospel. We're not speaking to the person We're just speaking ideas or truths, right? We're not teaching people how to learn anything. We're just rattling off facts to them. And that doesn't transform anybody. And so the reason for this series is so that we can actually understand what the gospel is, how to articulate it based on the audience that we have, based on the the people that we come in contact with, so that we can actually see transformation in people's lives. So today, I hope that you will walk away with a bit of a peace of mind on how to actually share your faith or share the gospel with people. And I have to go, uh, you know, a long way around to try to share this with you, but it is all simple. It is not complicated in in any way whatsoever, and I believe that when you leave here, you will have a lot more... um, a lot more confidence in your ability to share the gospel. So in week one, uh, I started off by combining two things, the gospel and the concept of cognition. Gospel and the go- concept of cognition. Cognition is simply a filter, guys. It's a, it's a feedback loop, if you will. It's a way that we take in information and give information back to the world, okay? So this is what we do. And when we are doing this, we do one of four things. We foreground information. We background information. We understand things based on the aspect. And we understand things based on our identity. That is where we land inside of the story, right? We do this with absolutely everything. So in week one, what I did was I shared with you guys that when we hear the term gospel, most of us are foregrounding something, and most of us are backgrounding things, and sometimes we're doing it without any effort whatsoever. I use John 3.16 as an example, and when we read John 3.16, we read, for God so loved the world, and I told you that most of us, when we think about the gospel, we foreground the love of God. And sadly, we background things that are not present in John 3.16, but are present in the rest of the scripture. And so we foreground the love of God and we background this whole notion of sin because, well, that's annoying, (laughs) right? Or we foreground the love of God and we background this whole call to repentance because turning around is not fun. Amen? Right? So, so we foreground and we background information. I also shared with you that the aspect you look at something, the, the direction from which you see it, affects how you understand things. The same thing is true with your identity. If you were a Jew in ancient Israel, Israel, you would have heard something different about a promise of good news that was supposed to come to you. You would have understood it differently. If you're a modern American, you're going to understand good news a very different way. Okay, And so who you are in the story absolutely matters. I'm reading a book right now. Well, I'm reading 16 books right now because that's what my life is like. Um, contrary to uh, the, the common way of doing it, I read 16 books and I finish 16 books. So there you go. I like that. The title of this book is a title that I can't utter in church. So anyway, uh, if you want to know the name of the book, you can talk to me later. But listen to this quote from the book. It's fascinating. 
I'm serious when I say I cannot utter the name of this book in church. Anyway, having the internet, Google, Facebook, YouTube, and access to 500 plus channels of television is amazing. But our attention is limited. There's no way we can process the tidal waves of information flowing past us constantly. Therefore, the only zeros and ones that break through and catch our attention are the truly exceptional pieces of information, those that fall in the 99th percentile. All day, every day, we are flooded with the truly extraordinary, the best of the best, the worst of the worst, the greatest physical feats, the funniest jokes, the most upsetting news, the scariest, uh, scariest threats, nonstop. Our lives today are filled with information from the extremes of the bell curve of human experience because in the me media business, that's what gets eyeballs, and eyeballs bring dollars. That's the bottom line. Here's the reason that I did this, not to complain about the media. Uh, the reason I quoted this is because we are inundated with all kinds of information. As a matter of fact, it's too much information. And so by necessity, we have to foreground certain information and we have to push a lot of stuff to the background, okay? We do this in every aspect of our life. We're doing this, sadly, though, with the gospel. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a strange step here. So if you're a, if you're a thinker or if you're a dork... Track with me here, okay? Because that's what I am. So anyway, so, so um, how many of you know that we live in a world of algorithms? In a world where everybody is tracking your information and they are feeding you information based on your search criteria. Did you know this? I hope you know this because if not, you crazy. Anyway, okay, so, so anyway, so you, we live in a world of algorithms and all these algorithms are calculating everything that we search and everything that we do, all the things that we look at, and they're funneling us information, guys. And uh, you can look at the news and you can see what, what makes money, what earns dollars, and so they play up on the things that actually attract people's attention. But you are being inundated by this. I am afraid that the same kind of algorithmic approach to life, to YouTube or to the news or to your, uh, to your buying habits, is also being done to us when it comes to our gospel understanding. This way, it's not done in some sort of computer somewhere off in Never Never Land, but instead, this is done because of the... Um, because of the crazy little feedback loop that we live in, the, the kind of echo chambers that we live in, in our denominations and in our church structures. What happens is we believe a certain idea, a certain concept, we enjoy that concept, we talk about that concept, and we attract people who think about, like, and talk about that concept. And before too long, that's what we think all of Christian life is. It's what, what our people say it is, Right? So, if you were raised in uh, a Catholic environment, you have a certain paradigm. You have a certain bubble in which you live. If you were raised in a uh, more traditional, maybe a, uh, a fundamentalist church, you have certain ideas that keep getting fed to you. And you actually believe that that's all the Christian life is. If you were raised in a charismatic world, you believe that all the Christian life is, is X, Y, and Z. There are certain things that you Okay, you've got a feedback loop because just like algorithms, we're being fed this kind of information. Sadly, when it comes to the to the gospel, breaking this loop is hard. We tend to find the people we like and we say the gospel is God loves you. And that's true 
and that's not enough. What? The love of God is not enough? Not if you didn't listen to the God who loves you. (laughs) Not if you didn't listen to what else he said, right? I've heard people say things like this all the time. Hey, I want you to know God loves you. Uh, He has a wonderful plan for your life. And you know what my secular or atheistic friends say? Of course he loves me. Who wouldn't? And you think that they're just being cocky. They're not. They're just going, my mama loves me. Why wouldn't God love me? Right? And that message, you know what that message does? Nothing. Nothing. Sits in their ears and sits on their heart and they go, of course God loves me. Everybody else should too. Right? Do you see the problem? And when we live in this echo chamber, when we live in this place, we never break free from it. We never break free from it. But it can, be, it can be a little bit more harsh than the God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life crowd. It can also be the crowd that says, you're a sinful, wretched piece of junk. Huh? Smile. So what's the good news here? We forgot a long time ago, <laughs> right? We forgot what the good news is. We just want you to come face to face with the mirror and realize you're a dirtbag. You guys need to start laughing with me because this is, if you don't laugh, you're going to be miserable. That's what's going to happen, right? right? So we get this little feedback loop and we think that that's what our gospel is. And we've been played just like we have been on YouTube. Did you know that you, uh, you search, how many of you love YouTube? Come on, just be honest. We, it's, it's the newest, latest, greatest thing. Anyway, it's, it's been around for quite some time. Anyway, but I love YouTube. I search for certain things. Right now, my favorite things to search for, uh, what? Matt's fishing mission. Did, hold on a second, guys. Did you hear the plug that just walked into that? Wow, that's amazing, right? So... It is not fishing, and it never will be, but anyway, but, but I love Matt, Matt's Fishing Mission YouTube channel. Anyway, okay, um, it is, it is jujitsu, it is philosophy, right? It's jujitsu, it's philosophy, or it is faith. That's what I do, okay? That's, that's all, I'm a dork, okay? Deal with it, right? So I get on there, and after a while of searching for those same things and being fed only that information... I could easily come to the conclusion that you know what YouTube consists of? Jiu-Jitsu videos, philosophy videos, and faith videos. And then all of a sudden, your world opens up by this guy who fishes on YouTube, right? And you're like, what kind of nerd is this guy, right? Right? Don't you know we all care about philosophy, right? So, no, but my idea is that I live in my bubble, Sadly with the gospel, I hope you guys are tracking with my stupid little point here, right? Sadly with the gospel, we live in this bubble. And the gospel becomes just what we know it to be. And it's so much broader than that. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk you through uh, three elements of the gospel. Three elements of the gospel. I'm not saying that this is all there are. It's not exhaustive. But I'm going to walk you through three elements of the gospel. Over the next two weeks, Dylan and Jacob Dolezal are going to elaborate on two of these. And I'm going to spend my time today on one of them. But here's the elements. This is, this is all the note-taking that you're going to have to take today. Okay? You're going to have to do. Elements of the gospel. Number one, the instrument of the gospel. Number one is the instrument of the gospel. Anyone want to share what comes to their mind immediately when they think about the instrument of the good news? 
What is it? Jesus. That's awesome. We also have the Bible. What else might be the instrument of the gospel? Holy Spirit, say it louder like you actually like me. The preachers, <laughs> of course Barney would say that. Anyway, what would you say, Mark? I don't. I don't. <laughs> okay, so, so we have a couple of things. What we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is we're going to see the difference between the, the, um, the instrument proper, that would be God, that would be Jesus and what he did, and then us as individuals who are supposed to be instruments of God delivering that gospel to the world. And we're going to talk about that. It's going to be a fun time. Jacob's going to do a great job on that. The second, uh, the second element of the gospel that I want you to think about is the response to the gospel. Can you tell me what the response, what a response of the gospel is to the gospel is? You're nuts, okay? Yes, resistance. That is one response to the gospel. I've heard that before. Okay, apathy almost. What else? Salvation is a response. You're living in a dream world. So all we're getting with is most of you have been mocked for your faith, and Bob understands salvation. I love this. This is really great, right? So you're right, though. You're right. What is the response to the gospel? Uh, or what is, what is supposed to be the response to the gospel? It should be faith. It should be repentance. It should be obedience. It should be all of those things. Salvation. It should be that. Now, what the world responds to is different, but I want to point something out. You foregrounded something, and you backgrounded a whole lot of other things right there. You foregrounded that when I asked that question, that I was talking about other people. You did. You foregrounded what you think other people would do with that. That's fine, but I just want you to be aware you foregrounded something. Bob foregrounded something, salvation. Neither is right. I'm simply telling you you did it. Right? Okay, so we have the instrument of the salvation, uh, or of the gospel. We have the response to the gospel. And today, I want to talk to you about the benefits of the gospel. And we're going to have some audience participation because this is a whole lot of fun for Nathan. So, somebody give me a benefit of the gospel. Eternal life. That's awesome. So, how many of you would say that that is definitely something that you see as a benefit of the gospel? Eternal life. What's the contrast to eternal life? I don't know. You guys are all over there. What? The lake of fire. <laughs> okay. This is it's good. Okay. So we've got, we've got one uh, Baptist in the room. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Nothing. Okay. Peace. Peace. Okay. So... I'm asking for the opposites of eternal life. Do what? Death. Eternal what? Separation. Eternal separation. Okay, so I just want to point out something that that is right away. I asked the first question, what is a benefit of the gospel? The first foregrounded thing is euphoria, eternal life. It is nirvana, right? We want this great by and by. Okay, that's the first thing we foreground. But with that comes an, a necessary other thing. That is its opposite, hell. Eternal damnation, separation, lake of fire, all of those things. 
Listen, even in those, if I spent 20 or 30 minutes on this, what we would find is that everybody in this room foregrounds different things and backgrounds different things. And some of them are true and some of them are uh, mythology. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad, right? We're going to foreground and we're going to background things. Okay, what are an- what's another benefit of the gospel? Huh? Freedom. Freedom. What did you say, Mark? Abundant life and freedom. I'm going to put these together because what we're talking about is not just the future glory, right? We're talking about now. How many of you know that one of the benefits of the gospel is that you can actually live according to God's standard and you can honor him? How many of you know this? Yeah. Many of you didn't foreground that, though. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And guess what? Most of our gospel presentations surely don't foreground that. I would say that first answer is the most common foreground and background, and that is, hey, accept Jesus and guess what you get out of it? You get out of hell free and you get to go to heaven, right? Isn't that true? So that's what we foreground, that's what we background. But there's the foregrounding of life abundantly, of freedom. Freedom from what, church? Freedom from sin, what? Death? Shame. Sheriff's pointed it out. It's freedom unto peace. John pointed it out. It's freedom unto joy. Amen? These are really awesome things. We foreground and we background information. Okay, what's another benefit of the gospel? Love, tranquility. We're going to go with joy and all of that there. What? Discipline. And you said love. Love in that you feel loved. And you can give love, okay? That's awesome. You said tranquility. You said discipline. Sorry, you said tranquility. Uh, so discipline, walk me through what, how is that? How many of you guys think discipline's a benefit? Six or eight of you are my kind of people. Anyway, okay. So, you know, I love you people. I'll bring a paddle next week. Anyway, that's the wrong kind of discipline, Nathan. Anyway, I got four daughters. So talk to me about discipline. What, what is it that you're thinking? So it's a benefit of the gospel. Yeah, the benefit of the gospel is talking about glory that it gives us life abundant, but in God's glory it gives you that discipline to walk by. Okay, awesome. So you're not just left, you're not just saved into Christianity and given the same old rule set and let's give it a good shot number two at this, right? That's not what it is. What do we have that makes us a disciplined person? There's, this is a fruit of something. The fruit of what? The fruit of the Spirit is self-discipline. Isn't that amazing? So it's really cool that this is a part of the good news. I get a bunch of fruit. <laughs> and that's not about you guys anyway. <laughs> right? So, so this is cool. <laughs> Nobody was happy with that joke. Anyway, okay, it's fine. <laughs> okay, what's another benefit of the gospel, guys? Is a long answer. Why don't you get up here and explain that, Matt? No, no, say it again. Your inspiration. Awesome. Very good. So a benefit of the gospel in Matt's foregrounding is I get to be an example. And my, and my testimony should serve as an example. And my life should serve as an example. 
It's great stuff. What's another benefit of the gospel? The purpose of life. The gospel teaches you about life and its purpose. Keep going. What? Say it again. Community? That's awesome. So uh, one of the benefits of the gospel is that you're welcomed into a family. Did you know this? You see, here's why I'm drawing this out. And you guys are all giving right answers. And they're all great answers. They all should illustrate that you foreground certain information and you uh, background a lot, of information, uh, a lot of other information, right? But these are all right answers. What I hope you'll see, though, is that the answer to the benefit of the gospel is much bigger even than what you've mentioned, Right? Let me give you some examples. Galatians, Paul says to the Galatian church, he says that that the gospel was preached to Abraham by God himself. Now, how many of you want that to happen? You're like, yeah, yeah, Nathan, shut up. I'll take God. Okay, let's go with that, right? Okay, that'd be great. God himself talked to Abraham. And what was his declaration to Abraham? Oh, this is crazy, guys. He didn't talk to Abraham about heaven. And he didn't talk to him about hell. And he didn't talk to him about escaping his sin. And he didn't tell him to repent and believe. Ah, but the gospel was preached to him. You see, we foreground our version of the gospel. We're foregrounding what Billy Graham said. Fine, it's great, it's great. I got some Billy Graham fans around here. I'll get killed if I do anything wrong there, right? Jerry Kluss will take me out. That's just all there is to it, right? But here's, here's the point. Abraham was told the gospel, and it didn't come with any of those other weird indicators. It didn't mean that it was void of them. But the gospel to Abraham was that he would have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and stars in the heavens. And that he would have a seed, and through that seed, the nations of the world would be blessed. When's the last time you shared that with your friend? You didn't, because it wouldn't make any sense, right? Hey, guys, gospel. Jesus was Abraham's seed. And your friends are like, "Eh, okay. I'm going to go over here and play my video games again, look up philosophy on the internet, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Still the gospel, though. Still the gospel. Why is that good news? Ah, it's because of the way people understood eternal life back in the day, not the way you understand eternal life. It's not that we're wrong, but they, Abraham believed he was going to be eternally passed on, that his family continued. A lot of Jewish writers have written on this view of transcendent time through generational blessing. We think of eternal life as just me getting to go up on a cloud, playing a harp, wearing a halo, got some wings. Spoiler alert, that ain't happening, right? That's not what the Bible tells you. That's what Greek mythology teaches you, okay? No halos for you. Bob, you're out. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. God wouldn't have given you a halo no matter what. (laughs) What? Yes, there you go. So, So it's really important, guys, that we understand what they would have heard, okay? What they saw as the good news. Let's go to David, King David, for example. David was... Very understanding of the good news. He, he really did grasp this. And what was the good news to David? Still didn't have anything to do with his sin. 
it still didn't have anything to do with a great by and by. It did have something to do with always having a descendant on the throne eternally. It did have something to do with a victorious king who would never be ousted, never would be ruled over. When's the last time your gospel presentation included a kingdom that cannot be defeated? Hate to break it to you, that was the primary message that Jesus declared. The gospel of the kingdom of his father. Did you know that? See, all I'm pointing out here, guys, is that we foreground a lot of information and we background a whole lot of information. And sometimes we're backgrounding information because we just never learned it. We were raised in the Baptist church, we were raised in the charismatic church, and they have a gospel. And it's an element of the bigger gospel, but it's not all of it. Let's move into the New Testament. Uh, Think about somebody like the woman at the well. What was the gospel that Jesus told her? He told her how to become a part of a people whose worship was pleasing to God. He also told her that her sins would be forgiven her and that all the husbands she's had and all the mess that she's lived in wasn't going to be held against her, but that she could worship in spirit and in truth a certain way. This is amazing, right? That's good news if you feel like you're trapped If you feel completely broken. So, so far we have Abraham who feels that he is not going to be left alone in the world, but that he is going to have a family, a faith family that covers the entire world and that the whole world will be blessed through him. We have David who believes in a good news that says there's a kingdom coming and nothing can thwart that kingdom. So far, we have a woman at the well who has looked at her past and realized she is a train wreck and that Jesus still loves her. That's a pretty awesome set of good news. You have an Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts who simply doesn't understand the book of Isaiah. He's not understanding what he's reading. He calls out to Philip and he goes, I don't know what I'm reading. Philip says, let me explain it to you. So he explains it to him and Philip is not recorded as saying, and I know that this can be an argument from silence, but Philip is not recorded as saying anything about the man's sin, his pedigree, his background, nothing. And the guy goes, after hearing the gospel or Isaiah explain to him, he goes, what's preventing me from being baptized? Peter And Philip goes, nothing, let's do it. So they find a puddle. I don't know what he got baptized in, right? But that's how it worked, okay? Think about a blind man. Jesus heals this blind man. He's been blind since his birth, right? Whose sin caused the blindness? And there's this whole debate and argument about it. And the point is, God's glory was to be revealed at this particular time. But this man is healed by Jesus. And what does he go and declare? His only message is this. I once was blind, And now I see, that's what he knew. That's what he understood. That's it. Are these good enough gospel declarations? Not if you go to some churches. Not if you go to some churches. You can't know how good God's kingdom is unless you speak of the glories of heaven. I've heard this all my life. You cannot know what you're going after unless you know about streets of gold and crystal seas and crowns. What? That still doesn't make sense to me, okay? Because I have no file folder for it. 
You can't know the saving work of Jesus and the power of his love for you unless you know how wretched and pitiful and broken you are. Oddly enough, Jesus didn't tell that to everybody. Why? Because the gospel is bigger than what you foreground. That's my point today. The benefits of the gospel are bigger than you were ever even taught. If your view of the gospel is just that you get out of hell, you have a small gospel. If your gospel is just that you get to go to heaven when you die, not only are you wrong, but you have too small of a gospel. I know. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? Let's listen to some of these amazing uh, passages that the scripture tell us about people delivering the gospel message. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, and all I want you to do is listen. Nothing's on the screen this morning. Just listen. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I give you good news of great joy that is for all the people, a Savior. Saving from what? Most people believed it was saving from the Roman oppression. Most people believed it was saving from the occupation, the tyranny that had faced the Jewish people. It didn't mean that it wasn't saving from sin. But do you understand? There's not a lot to go on there. But that was the declaration from the angels. You go to some churches and those angels would be reprimanded for not including enough about the gospel. Right? Let's read Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I just want you to process with me what repentance might mean when it's attached to the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You all know what to think if I say repent so that you don't go to hell. You all know full well what I'm talking about, right? But what does it actually mean, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Do you understand that a king was coming to set everything right? And this was not just any king. This was a just king. This was a king who was going to drop the hammer. And the point was, you get on his good side. Do you know that? Do you know that? This is John the Baptist's message, and guess what people did? They repented because they revered this message. Today, we're like, listen, you should repent. You should repent of your sins so that God can give you this just Mac Daddy present he's got sitting there waiting for you. And nobody mentions the fact that God is a God of justice and wrath. It's just a part of the truth of who he is, church, right? Look at what it goes on to say, because Jesus understood it. I mean, if anybody understands it, hopefully Jesus does, right? It says, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah. This is John talking about Jesus. The prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, or it's referring to John there, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, now, you go into some churches today, and people are going to go, that sounds a whole lot like works-based salvation, right? Well, tough. Make, 
make straight the paths of the Lord. Call people to repentance. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, uh, then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they were confessing their sins because a king was coming, because a kingdom was coming, guys. It's a, an important piece of this, right? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, and listen for the interpretation, guys. Listen for what he says is coming and what the people who repented understood. They foregrounded the right information. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the great love of the Lord? It's not what he said. (laughs) You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's what a just king is going to bring. Justice. Why is that good news to some people? It's good news to many people who feel that all their life has been a product of injustice. But we don't see it that way because we foregrounded all the wrong information. Or we foregrounded only what our denomination taught us. And it's all about happy. And it's all about God's love for you and his wonderful plan for your life. What happens if it's also there's a kingdom coming and when the king comes and sets foot on his throne, when he sits on his throne, there is going to be hell to pay. What if that's true? You guys okay with it? Now I've got Christians squirming, right? Because all of a sudden we're like, hold on, right? Hold on what? Hold on because you were lied to when you were growing up? Hold on because you only have this amount of the gospel and not this amount of the gospel? Please understand me, church. There's so much to the gospel, and it's so much bigger. I'm going to wrap this up in just a second to show you where I'm going with your delivery of the gospel. Matthew chapter 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Now, is that not a paradox of paradoxes? The instrument of the salvation is preaching the salvation. It's just fascinating to me, right? From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, hey, everybody, I'm here. Hmm, that's interesting. Mark chapter 1 reiterates these ideas again. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God a new name for it, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So I know that this is going to be strange to you, but do you notice it says repent and believe in the gospel? So repentance might be something about the gospel, but it is not the gospel. In other words, it's not the good news of repentance. It's the good news, and you are to repent. Do you understand the difference there? These are important nuances in the text. Acts chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, speaking of David, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, proving 
again, David's version of the gospel was a king on the throne, that he would, was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. It's eternal. It's eternal. This is an amazing iteration of the gospel. Peter declares on the day of Pentecost, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we've added another benefit of the gospel. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, and we don't have them recorded, And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved, be saved, be saved. Guys, the gospel is vast. It's unbelievable. It's vast. It goes everywhere. It goes to so many different things. And our problem is we foreground certain information and we background all the rest and we think that's the gospel. And then we go and we talk to our friends about it and they look at us like we're nuts because what you foreground is probably nuts to them, right? If you go to your buddy He's working in your factory with you. He's working out, working out in the plant or doing something. You go to him and you talk to him and you say, listen, I want to tell you some good news. And he goes, please do. Please do. And your statement is, a man named Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. You're right. But you better be open for a lot of questions. Oftentimes we're not, though. We go, why didn't he accept I did my job. I preached the gospel. No, you did not. You didn't. You shared with him a truth. Jesus loves you. But there's more. That man, that woman might look at you and say, I I don't think anybody can love me. All of a sudden, the door just opened, church. The door just opened. And the ticket to this gospel presentation is not recorded word for word in your Bible. He says, I don't think anybody can love me. She says, I don't think anybody can love me. And then all of a sudden, your response is, maybe you don't understand what true love really is. The Bible tells us that love is patient and love is kind. And you may not have experienced that love in your life. But my God wants to show it to you every day. My God wants to do it so much so that he came and he died for you. And that might not make sense to you. But he died for you so that you might have life. And if you want to look at what that life looks like, if you want to understand what it means to have hope outside of coming in and clocking in and clocking out and barely scraping by with your paycheck, then I will talk to you. I will spend the rest of my life discussing this truth with you. That is the gospel. And it looks really organic. And it looks really strange. And it looks very vulnerable. And it is. The gospel is not magic words. The gospel is not John 3.16 and hope that some uh, pixie dust gathers people up and turns them into princes and princesses for Jesus' kingdom. It doesn't work that way. What's required is for you to explain to the person where they are, the benefits of God's kingdom for them in their life. And I don't care who they are, there's a benefit for them. 
I'm stuck in sin. I'm stuck in this place in my life. There's things that I don't want to do, Nathan, that I keep doing. Don't worry. Don't worry. Let me tell you gospel. The gospel is that the God of the universe wants to abide in you. He wants to live with you. He wants to welcome you into a community, which we talked about before. He wants to welcome you in, and that community is going to walk beside you, and you are going to be able to defeat this. You are going to be set free. You can hold your head up. Well, Nathan, that doesn't sound like the gospel I was taught. Yeah, because you were taught wrong. That's all there is to it. You were taught just little nuggets, little ideas, and nobody responds to them. And then we blame the person. This is stupid. A woman at the well is broken with a lot of marriages and a lot of not marriages, and Jesus still communes with this woman and welcomes her in. Blind, deaf, lame, poor, broken, doesn't matter what your situation is, Jesus is there holding out his hand. Our job is to tell people that. Our job is to show people that. So, question. How how many of you struggle to communicate the gospel to the people around you? Show your hands. Um, How many of you do that because you don't know what words to use? Right? How many of you are understanding right now there's no magic formula? There's just talk to your people. Talk to people who are broken and in need. Talk to people who are despairing. Talk to people who have no hope in their life. Tell them your story. Tell them how Jesus rescued you. Well, Nathan, what should I say about their sin? Should I bring that up? I don't know. But I'm not going to tell you yes. I'm going to tell you to walk with them. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom as long as you pathetic worms repent right now. He doesn't doesn't say it. And here's why. Because what those people needed to hear was you are a people with no place. And you are not only not poor any longer, but through King Jesus, you inherit a kingdom. Your sons and daughters. Did you see that? It's the opening phrase of the Sermon on the Mount. And all we do is make it about poverty and riches. It's not. It's about identity. It's about place. How you deliver the gospel depends on the audience you have, the person you're talking to. And so what I am here to tell you today, here to tell you, is that you and I all foreground information. And we background a lot of information. You and I are in an echo chamber, and we've been taught this is the only way to share the gospel if we even understand that way. We need to break out of that and realize we need to have conversations with people. We need to see where somebody's hurting and love them there. And when we do it, there is a truth that backs it up in the Bible. There is a character trait of God that backs it up, and you have the awesome opportunity to share that with them. Amen? This is our job. So, be honest with me. How many of you feel that you you could preach the gospel in a very different way after today? Show your hands. How many of you feel you will? 
Everybody's like, ah, that's a different question. <laughs> right? That's a different question. Fine. Take your time. Work at it. But understand what you're dealing with. You're dealing with people who are hurting and broken. People who feel abandoned and lost. People who have never had anything. And God has an answer for each and every one of them. And that answer is what? The gospel. It's the good news.